All right, well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Again, we're so thankful that you came here to be with us. If you are here for the very first time, somebody invited you, maybe you're in from out of town visiting family, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me for my voice, um, I was really belting out those songs. I don't know about you. <laughs> if, if you're here for the first time, we're so, so very thankful that you chose to celebrate Christmas Eve here with us at First Baptist Church, and uh, a little bit later on at the end of the service, we'll actually have an opportunity where you can take a connection card out of the pew in front of you, and if you want to communicate with us anything that's on your heart or mind, or if the Lord's doing something in your heart you want to let us know about, you'll have the opportunity to do that. Thank you. Man, yeah, that's all right. Appreciate it. Did, did you drink from this already? All right, awesome. Uh, awesome. All right. So anyway, let's, uh, man, this has been a great Christmas season, and it's been a great opportunity to be together. I'm so thankful for everybody that serves in this church. I'm thankful for the brothers and sisters that lead in worship. I mean, these are dedicated Christian people uh, that give their time, and they love the Lord. And, and, and whether we're hearing the message in song, whether we're hearing it read to us directly from the Scriptures, uh, whatever it is, I mean, it's just all a part of the big picture and and the other part of the big picture is what you've probably been a, uh, a part of uh, all month long because when we get into the Christmas season and we see all the decorations and all the plants and the trees and the lights and all the different things we I mean it just brings us in doesn't it and, and that's really what I want to kind of just start off reminding us about because when we get around this Christmas thing it's funny we love the time of year and and all the traditions that go with it and all the things that you know just bring about all the warm feelings and the, the glad tidings and, and all that sort of things. But what happens is, is that over the years, uh, you just kind of get dull of hearing. You get used to seeing all the lights and the trees and the plants and the decorations and, and all that sort of thing. And, and maybe you don't ever really realize where did all these traditions come from anyway? I mean, how did we get all of the things that we tend to make a very natural and normal part of our Christmas holiday, just among the traditions. And so what I want to do is just take a few minutes at the beginning and just share with you a little bit of the history of some of the natural traditions that we do at Christmas time. The first one would be like Christmas trees. So Christmas trees, like we see, as we know them, everybody probably has something like that in your house, most of you anyway. Um, but the way that we decorate them and use them today at least, um, such that they are explicitly decorated and named after this Christian holiday, appeared for the first time in Strasbourg, Germany in the early 17th century. And it was in the 1820s that the first German immigrants decorated Christmas trees in Pennsylvania. In 1848, the first American newspaper carried a picture of a Christmas tree, and the custom then spread to nearly every home in just a few years. A little more history. In 1828, the American minister to Mexico, a man by the name of Joel R. Poinsett, brought a red and green plant to America, which was given the name Poinsettia plant, which began appearing in greenhouses as early as 1830. And by 1900, they were a universal symbol for this holiday. An Englishman named John Calcott Horsley helped to populate the tradition of sending Christmas greeting cards. When he began to produce small cards featuring festive scenes and pre-written holiday messages, 
uh, as early as the late 1830s. That's how long that's been going on. Uh, earlier we heard a little bit about eggnog. So where'd that come from? In Jamestown, Virginia, the first eggnog made in the United States was consumed in Captain John Smith's 1607 settlement. Did you know that? And nog, in case you're wondering what exactly is that, comes from the word grog, which refers to any drink made with rum. In Norway, we get the tradition of the Yule log. Okay, the Yule log, so the log that burns in the fireplace. And that came from Norway, and it was used in their celebration of the return of the sun at the winter solstice. So Yule comes from a Norse word that I won't pronounce right, but it's spelled H-W-E-O-L, Hule, I don't know, meaning wheel. And so the Norse believed that the sun was a great wheel of fire that rolled towards the earth and then away from the earth. So that's where that came from. Uh, the Celtic and Teutonic peoples had long considered mistletoe. We heard about mistletoe earlier. They long considered mistletoe to have magical powers. And so they would hang the plant in their homes in order to bring themselves good luck and to ward off evil spirits. Kind of superstitious there. Maybe you've heard of the tradition of plum pudding. You ever, anybody ever had plum pudding? Preston said he has, he's shaking his head like it's nasty. Okay, so plum pudding is an English dish, and, you know, most of those are nasty anyway. I'm <laughs> kidding. That's joyful time. Okay, it's wonderful. Plum pudding is an English dish dating back to the Middle Ages, which is basically made of animal fat, flour, sugar, raisins, nuts, and spices. Notice no plums. Tied loosely in cloth and, and boiled until the ingredients are, and here's where the word comes in, until the ingredients are plum, we might say plump. Meaning that the ingredients have expanded enough with water to fill the cloth, which is then unwrapped, sliced, and served with cream on top. In the U.S. and in England, children typically hang stockings either on their bedpost or near a fireplace, if they have one, on Christmas Eve. And they would do that hoping to find it filled with treats when they awoke in the morning. Uh, in Scandinavia, similar-minded children would just leave their shoes on the hearth and with the idea that they would also then be filled with treats in the morning. Coming from France, um, I don't know what good thing comes from... Okay, so coming from France is a very good thing because they call Christmas, as we call it, Noel. And really, that just comes from a French phrase that I will mispronounce, something like la bonne nouvelle, which basically just means the good news. And that really is a reference to the gospel. So the French nailed that. That's awesome. Um, caroling also began in England as wandering musicians. You ever seen wandering musicians? Uh, traveled from town to town visiting castles and homes of the rich, who in turn provided a hot meal or some money for the singers. And so that's where some of these things come from, and certainly they're not necessarily Christian things per se, uh, but we have 
adapted them and we have adopted them as our own traditions to go together with Christmas when you participate and have these things in your homes it just makes you feel Christmassy doesn't it it kind of brings you in and it, and it gives you a sense hey this is that time of year but the fear of it all like I began is is just that we do all the things but we forget the real meaning now we've talked a little bit about that already today and and I want to talk since we ended talking about caroling I want to talk a little bit about Christmas songs and if you've been with us those of you that come to the church regularly know that all month long we've been talking about Christmas songs the carols and the messages that come from the Christmas songs they're also a very big part of our holiday season aren't they and we tune in and we listen to the same songs year after year and we're very familiar with them and what happens is we get familiar with the tune and like the traditions sometimes we just kind of forget about the lyrics and we don't pay that much attention to the lyrics so for the last three weeks we've taken time and looked at three specific songs and shown the biblical defense of the lyric of many of the songs that we love and some of which we even sang tonight but the tune just the tune will bring back fond memories it will bring you maybe back to a time and a place in your life when you remember hearing that song when you were with somebody that you love or maybe you were doing something that was fun and and so the tunes, they will do that. They'll bring you back to those times. And, and I think partly it's because music, I mean, it really is, in my opinion, a very special form of art. Uh, music is, as many forms, of all forms of art really are, uh, it's very creative. Uh, musicians, uh, of whom I am not one, of course, um, w- will tell you that if they write a song, a new song, they, they will use terminology like, I was inspired to write this song. You've heard him say that? And, and really, it's interesting because when there's a song that resonates with us, there really is something that goes beyond just the physical hearing, isn't there? There, there are, there, music has the ability to reach into your soul. I mean, there's just something spiritual about music. There's just something special about this creative art that can really connect with you at a much deeper level but certainly of course not every song or not every piece of art is inspired by God's Holy Spirit certainly there's a lot of songs out there as as many forms of artwork that are out there that may be led by a spirit that is not holy at all because what it's communicating is very anti-holy, very anti-biblical in nature. But the songs that we typically sing for Christmas and the songs that are biblically based, they, they do give us that connection. And they do resonate with us at a deeper level. And so as we have been all month long looking at lyrics of songs and the messages that come from these lyrics, we've seen a lot of great things And the songs that we've sung tonight, O Come Emmanuel, O Holy Night, Away in a Manger, O Come All You Faithful, Joy to the World, Go Tell It on the Mountain. I mean, all of these songs, really, they they do communicate basically the same message, don't they? And the message is, I think, fairly clear. They speak of a meaning that is far greater than just a historical event. Because Christmas most certainly is not just the story of a famous man who is now long gone away. 
It's the celebration of Christmas is the celebration of God himself who came to this earth as a man. And he came to save man from his sins. And ultimately, eternal judgment, eternal punishment. It's the celebration. Christmas is the celebration of a promise that one day Jesus Christ will return again. And he will establish literally his kingdom on earth where sin will be done away with, where God is glorified by all, where peace reigns over all the earth, and all men show nothing but goodwill toward one another. That's the promise of the coming of the Savior to this earth. That's what Christmas really celebrates. It's a celebration of hope among people who have otherwise lost all hope in humanity or in society, or maybe in themselves. Because we live in a time in which the Bible refers to as perilous, where men are primarily lovers of their own selves, not of one another. And although we get a bit of a respite, at least in the second half of December every year, where people seem to be a little bit nicer to one another, January's coming. And people go back to their old selves and being less kind. And It just proves that there's a need. There's a need for regeneration. There's a need for salvation. There's a need for a change at our very core. And really, the essence of all of this is that Christmas is the celebration of the gospel. And that word gospel, that's what it literally means. It is the good news. It's Noel. That's what it is. It's the good news. Christmas is the celebration of the gospel. We have a Savior, and that's good news. He came, he was born, he lived a perfect sinless life, he ultimately died, but he died not for his own sin, he died for ours. And he died to offer us the free gift of eternal life. That is, that's the greatest news, it's more than just good, it's the greatest news ever. But I want to propose something to you before I explain further, and that's this, that if we didn't first recognize some bad news, I fear we wouldn't ever really understand what good news even is. I want you to think about that for a second. If we didn't find ourselves in such a tough situation in life where things always seem to get worse, would we really even recognize how good the good news is? Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve when they were put in the Garden of Eden before sin Do you remember what brought about the sin? God gave them freedom to do anything at all that they wanted to do, but they had one and only one rule, and that rule was to not eat the fruit of one tree. And that tree had a name. Do you remember the name of that tree? That tree was the tree of the knowledge of, say it with me, good and evil. Have you ever thought about that thing? Have you ever thought about how God put it together that when they ate of the fruit of that tree, They would then gain the knowledge of, as a package deal, good and evil. And I think that it's because you can't really understand what good is without also understanding what evil is. Because without the existence and the acknowledging of things that are bad, we wouldn't have anything to compare to determine what's good. And so that's what the coming of Jesus Christ to earth does for us. 
Because Christmas is an annual reminder of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which literally is that good news. And the gospel, by its very definition, starts, you wouldn't be surprised, with bad news. But thankfully, it doesn't end with just bad news. It ultimately comes around with a great solution. But the gospel is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the first four verses, the Bible is very clear where it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, here it is, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. So this is the gospel that presents salvation for all of us. If you keep in memory what I've preached unto, unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Here he goes, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died. Bad news. For our sins. Bad news according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, bad news, and that he rose again, hallelujah, that's great news, the third day according to the scriptures. So if we just look at the four points that make up the definition of the gospel, three of them are bad, but the good one trumps them all, the good one trumps them all. But you have to have the bad first, in order to appreciate and understand and then ultimately receive and assimilate into your very own life the good. What exactly does that mean to you today? What does that mean to me today? How can I apply this to my life today? Well, in the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse number 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, referring to Adam, when sin entered in when he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so the Bible makes it very clear that we all have this problem now because all the way back from the time of Adam and that very introduction of the good and the evil, we now all have that same predicament, and we all have to wrestle with these issues in our own lives. So Adam was created by God. And the Bible says that he was created in God's image and in God's likeness. And I like to illustrate it this way, so that when God created man, he, he made him perfect. And the Bible says that God used to come down and fellowship with Adam in the cool of the day. And so God and Adam would hang out. And they would have a good time together the way God intended. Because Adam was perfect, and Adam was holy. And God is perfect, and God is holy. And they had a great time together. They had great fellowship and union together. But when sin entered in, let me use this iPad as an illustration of sin, it created a barrier. So then God decides, oh, I want to have fellowship. Oh, wait, I can't have that kind of fellowship with Adam anymore because now Adam has something in his life that is blocking my ability to have that fellowship with him. You see, that's a real problem. And because that happened with Adam, it says in Romans chapter 5 that that predicament passed on to all of us. Each and every one of us have that barrier that hinders our ability to have full and complete communion with God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, Adam used to have that glory of God together with him, but now he comes short, and, all, and we come short as, as well. Why? Because just as it was passed on to us, we all have sinned, and because of that, we come short of God's glory. That's a problem. 
A little further down in the book of Romans chapter 6, in the beginning of verse 23, it says the wages of sin is death. And so sin is something we have all done. We've inherited it by nature, but we do it by volition. And because we have done it, we have earned a wage. You work a job, you earn a wage. Your paycheck comes to you. You don't have to beg for it. You have worked for it. You deserve it. You have earned it. The wage for what we have done, sin, is death. That's what the Bible says. And death, as understood, look, we, we, ever since we were little, we understand that people are born, they live a certain amount of time, and then they pass from this physical earth. But when the Bible talks about death, it doesn't just talk about physical death. That's true also. It also refers to something that's called the second death, which is actually a spiritual death. And it's defined for us in the book of Revelation, near the very end of the Bible, in chapter number 21, verse number 8, where it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, and you're thinking, man, that's a rough crowd. I mean, you're hoping that you don't live next door to any of those guys, right? I mean, fearful, unbelieving, abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Here it is, which is the second death. So the second death is defined as a, as a lake that burns with fire. It's the lake of fire. Uh, we might refer to that as hell. So there's something to this thing where some people, Revelation 21.8 refers to some people, are going to end up in that place. And the truth is, is that this is all a part of explaining the gospel. This is the Bible story for you and for me. And if the story were to end right here, well, that's very bad news, isn't it? I mean, that's terrible because every one of us have sinned. Every one of us comes short of the glory of God. Every one of us have earned, therefore, the wage, which is death. And death refers to the second death, which is living forever in a lake of fire. So every single one of us, if you've ever taken a logic class, every single one of us clearly deserve to have our end in this lake of fire because we're sinners. We have sin. We have a barrier between us and God, just like Adam had. But there's good news that trumps all of the bad news. And you know this. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. So Jesus Christ, the only one who has ever come and lived a perfectly sinless life. No one else even claims to have done that. Jesus Christ did it. Fulfilled all the prophecy, never sinned one time. He did not have to receive the wage of sin, which is death. He did not have to die at all. But he laid down his life willingly because he took upon himself our sin. He died for us. He died so that we could live. But I just want you to understand something today. Just because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of the entire world, and he did, by the way, does not mean, I want you to get this, it does not mean that the whole world automatically gets to go to heaven. Did you get that? Jesus Christ did what he did. And his payment 
was effective. It was enough. It was satisfactory for all of the sins you have ever committed and ever will commit and all that I've committed and ever will commit and all that everyone ever has and ever will commit. But that doesn't mean that everybody automatically gets to go to heaven. How do you know that, Jeff? Well, I know that because Revelation 21.8 that we already saw said that some people are going to end up in the lake of fire, right? Not everybody's going to get in on this thing. So if you're thinking, you're thinking, yeah, how do I get in on that? What do I have to do? How good do I have to be? How many times do I have to come to church? Do I need to get baptized? Do I need to give so much money? Do I have to do so many good deeds? What do I have to do so that I don't end up in that lake of fire? Well, the Bible tells you exactly what you have to do. That's good news. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. See how simple that is? The Bible says that eternal life is in Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have eternal life. It's just that simple. You say, well, I'm not sure I understand what that means. All right, well, let me illustrate it this way. Let me take this little bookmark. Let me just stick it here in this cover. And let me just say that this bookmark represents eternal life. Let me just say that this iPad cover, just, it represents Jesus Christ. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And that this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. It's just that simple. If we were to go back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 where it says the wages of sin is death, that verse continues to say, but the gift of God, it's a gift, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what it says. And that's what we see God doing for us. Because he provides for us something that we could never possibly provide for ourselves. And so the question really is, what do I have to do? It's not really that. The question is, do I have Jesus Christ? Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard this story when I was in my early 20s, and I was still in college, and I didn't grow up in church, I I didn't even know what that meant. A guy shared that with me, and I honestly responded thinking, okay, (laughs) How do I do that? How do, here, Jesus, how do I do that? I honestly didn't know how to do that. Well, it's not hard. The Bible explains to us in John chapter 1 and verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's Christmas. What do we do? What do we think about as, at Christmas time? Face it. We, the right answer should be Jesus, but the real answer is presents right i mean we all think about it we think about buying them we think about getting them we think about the joy of giving them and and what do you do with a gift right you buy a gift for somebody you care about and you say hey i bought you this gift i want you to have it and you offer that gift to your loved one but if they never pick it up and they never unwrap it if they don't let me use this word if they don't receive it thank you i receive it thank you if they don't receive it as their own Well, then it's not theirs, is it? It's just sitting there. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. God gave us eternal life. That life is in his son. 
and he offers it to you as a gift. But it's just an offer. That's why everybody doesn't automatically go to heaven. You have to just not go to church so many times, not give so much money, not do more good works than bad works. You have to receive the gift to as many as received him. To them gave you power to become sons of God, which means they get eternal life. Do you see how that works? Receive Jesus Christ. And so again, if you backtrack to my life and my experience, and maybe this will resonate with some of you, I remember thinking very clearly, okay, to have Jesus, I have to receive him. How do I do that? Well, it says, even as many, even to them that believe on his name. And so you say, well, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I mean, I'm in church, aren't I? <laughs> I mean, I don't reject the fact that he lived. I don't reject the fact that he died on that cross. I, I don't have any reason to think that it's not accurate historically. That's really not what God's talking about. God's talking about personally receiving the payment that he paid for each and every one of us. And you receiving it individually and personally for yourself. Have you done that? Because that's really what he's looking for. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so we see how it is we receive Jesus Christ by faith. We agree with him about all of these things that we've seen. We agree with him that we are sinners and come short of God's glory. We agree with him that he is perfect and did not need to die for us, but he did. We agree that his payment was enough to pay for my sins and that he offers it to me freely. And we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the boss, the ruler, not of just eternity in the universe. Make it very personal. He is the Lord of my life starting today. Only when you make that decision do you genuinely, biblically fulfill the requirement of receiving the gift of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and be my Lord. Forgive me my sins. Give me the gift of yourself and, and eternal life as a result. I will follow you all the days of my life. I surrender my will to your will. You are the Lord now, not I any longer. Well, you have to also believe with all your heart that what he said about himself, what the Bible says about him, is absolutely accurate that he rose again from the dead. Yes, he died for your sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, conquering death and conquering sin. Because with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so every Christmas season, God's message to every single one of us maybe reminds us through the traditions. He tries to remind us through the songs and all the different things that we do. But the message is the same. Every year we have a reminder. And the reminder is the gospel. And the gospel is the good news. It starts with bad news because we're all stuck in that situation. 
but it is the best news ever because he offers to us the free gift of eternal life. And so Romans 10 and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just encourage you today. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord, but if you're here today and for any reason are not 100% sure that if, God forbid, your physical life were to end before this day is over, if you're not sure that you would have a home in heaven, are you willing to receive Jesus Christ today as your personal Lord and Savior? It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. You literally could write your name in there. I could say, for if Jeff will call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. What about you? Have you ever done that? Because the reason Jesus Christ came, God the Son came in human flesh as a baby and grew up and lived 33 years and died on a cross was to give to you the opportunity to make this decision. And if today is the day that the light bulb went on, if today is the day that you say, ah, I get it, then today is the day for you to respond. There's no time like the present. And what I want to do right now is just give you the opportunity to be able to respond. He came to this earth as a babe in a manger. And we read the stories about the shepherds and the angels and the kings and the gifts. But he didn't stay a baby. He came with a purpose. And his purpose was to die for your sins and for my sins personally and to rise again victorious so that we could know that we can have eternal life. The, the, the good news, the Noel of Christmas, is that he offers that to each and every one of you today. The question I have for you is, will you receive it? Will you receive it? I'd like to, to have us all pray together, so let's just bow our heads and close our eyes, and I want to I lead you in a prayer. And I want to be able to pray for anybody here who would say sincerely, that today is the day they understood the gospel and want to surrender their hearts to the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you, not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. So if you would say, Jeff, I understand the gospel, and today I want to give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody's looking around, I promise. Would you just honestly, before the Lord, raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to receive you as my Savior today? Anybody at all? Just, just raise your hand. Just hold it up for a second. Amen. Down front, I see you guys. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody upstairs? I see your hand. You can take it down. Thank you. Anybody in the back? Just hold your hand up. Don't be afraid. Just, I just want to pray for you. That's all. Okay, thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that he would come and he would live a perfect sinless life and that he would die for our sins. And Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of these who tonight has said by raising their hand that they understand. And today, they want to surrender their life to you. So, Lord, I pray that in their own hearts, they would just cry out to you and just ask you, Lord, to forgive them. Lord Jesus, just forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to argue with you about that. I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sin separates me from you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just forgive me of my sins and that you would come into my heart and my life and give me the gift of eternal life. Lord, I confess you as my personal Lord, as my personal Savior. And I know that that means from today going forward, I surrender my life to you and to your leadership. And I pray, Lord Jesus, 
that you will just give me not only the gift of eternal life, but the strength to continue to follow you from today and every day going forward. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for offering me this gift. And thank you for bringing me to this point where I understand this message. Today is the day I surrender all to you. And I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.